0: Our guest on this Let's Go Eat show is a repeat guest. He's been on before. Uh, He's a guy, though, that, you know, uh, we could probably have him on every episode of the Let's Go Eat show, and it would always be entertaining because he's a great storyteller. I think uh, among all of his talents and all the things he does, Ken Sanders is best best to me as a storyteller he can tell stories about anybody and anything you mention a topic he 's got a story about it. I swear to god uh, Ken uh, is referred to here in uh, Wikipedia as an american antiqu- antiquarian bookseller uh, and he is um, probably most well known throughout the country if he has uh, any uh, Notoriety in the United States, uh, outside of Utah, as a, a book appraiser on Antiques Roadshow, and in this uh, episode of the Let's Go Each Show, we talk a lot about the Antiques Roadshow and how it works, and uh, how Ken uh, became a part of it, and what he does, and and as a matter of fact, there's an Antiques Roadshow coming up pretty soon, uh, and he talks about that. Uh, Ken is also known as the uh, character as a character in a book. Now, this is a book. Uh, about a real incident called The Man Who Loved Books Too Much, and it's about a guy named John Charles Gilkey. Uh, And so we talk about that. Ken appears in that book quite extensively as the guy who helped bring or who brought John Charles Gilkey to justice. But Ken isn't really fond of how he's portrayed in the book, I found out. He said he's a character in the book and he has to accept that, but... It's not the whole story. It's not the right story. And he sets the record straight here on the Let's Go Eat show. Uh, Ken Sanders, great guest. Uh, you you know, if you ever meet Ken, you'll never forget him. And you might have seen him around town. He has uh, white hair and a long, white Brigham Young type beard. And uh, uh, looks a little homeless, frankly, on occasion. But he's not. He has a home at Ken Sanders Rare Books. Uh, and he is... Uh, Uh, And, by the way, if you've never been to Ken Sanders' Rare Books, uh, go there. It's a great, great place for book lovers. Um, So, uh, we'll get into it here. I want to thank 50 West uh, for providing us some food there. And uh, you'll hear uh, uh, the new manager of 50 West, uh, Jen, I think it is. Jen who stops by uh, the table and brings Ken and Dylan and I uh, some special drinks and some really special cookies. Oh, my God, they're good. Uh, Of course, uh, the the club and cafe at 50 West, 50 West Broadway in downtown Salt Lake City. We've been doing a lot of our shows there because, well, it's convenient. My office is right upstairs and because they have really good breakfast and lunch food. So stop in there sometime and uh, ask for the... uh, Ask for the crack cookies, would you? All right. So, oh, one other thing. Remember, if you are, uh, if you like the Let's Go Eat Show, uh, please uh, like us on iTunes and rate us there. We're available on Stitcher. We're now available and uh, Google Play. Uh, we're available at x96.com, and of course, we're available at theletsgoeatshow.com. I think that's covered all the bases. So, without further ado, here he is, Ken Sanders. Have a hard time hearing Ken, and uh, and I can't and I can't see his lips because they're hidden by the microphone, so I can't yeah, read his Yeah, lips. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Bill. Ken Sorry. Sanders, uh, you are the o- only person I've had for a second guest.
1: Oh no, Stars and Whiskers. Oh, but
0: no, not this not the only person who's been on uh-oh. twice. Gene has been on, has been on twice. But it's very rare that we invite a guest back to the Let's Go Eat show. But uh, you've been on my mind lately. I guess you got, you were on my mind when it looked as though you were going to have to move the, the goddamn bookstore.
1: Yeah, well, we're still going to have to move the goddamn bookstore. We just got a brief reprieve. Yeah. So um, I, bu- I bought Reader's Digest. Reader's Digest. I bought a building on 30s to move the bookstore too. The building, actually, it had really good bones, but it wasn't in the right neighborhood. It wasn't quite big enough, and it had a transient problem from hell. You might do the radio show from hell, but I inherited a transient problem from hell that included them sleeping on the roof
2: of the building
1: and cutting the uh, swamp cooler wires. uh, wires?
0: Pipes for yeah, the water, the, the copper tubing. Copper tubing. That's, that's what they you.
1: wanted was the copper tubing. Then the remodeling of it, I don't know. That's not my world. You know? Yeah. What do you mean thirty six thousand dollars for an HVAC system? So it's gonna, it was gonna, it was gonna bankrupt me. So you still own it? No, I sold it. You sold it? And I signed, I signed a lease for three years on the old place.
0: Which is give people the exact address: two sixty eight South, two hundred East. And how many? You've been there how 20? twenty years? Twenty years. Twenty years. Uh, and uh, why? Why did the landlord? And shit, you paid enough rent there to own the building many times over. Although I, I'm on a
1: lease now, and the rent did go up, but it's still way below market in Salt Lake City and I'm thankful to have it and have I hope the 3 years although they started remodel they they did a a drill crew came in and banged the heck out of the parking lot to the north of us and apparently there's some not high rise but there's a multi-level housing unit with underground parking going up in the parking lot next door to us so on, the, um, on to the north the, on the north so, not on our property but immediately north so i'm skittish
0: all over again so why did the uh, uh, landlord why did he want you to uh, vacate what was he going to do with it well, you know
1: they bought the 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 new owners have bought the whole corner from 3rd south to my building oh
0: Somebody so, came in and bought. You yeah, bought the whole thing.
1: There's about ten tenants. that will be affected. We've all signed three year leases, so we're hoping we have that long
0: before we've got to reinvent ourselves. Um, how many books? Do you have any idea how many books you would have had to move? Well, in the
1: shop, a hundred thousand or so. But there's, <clears throat> shall we say, off site locales of. Yeah. More books, like the 80,000 volumes of poetry I bought from the late, great serendipity books in Berkeley. Really? Yeah. Doesn't everyone need... it? Was It's only 800 cartons of books. And they're just in storage? Well, we we're triaging them. We, we've gotten through maybe 300 cartons of the 800 cartons.
0: Uh, you do that a lot, huh? huh? You, you, you look around at... Or do people... Oh, wait. Now... Ken, uh, before we go on with the talking about books, Do you bet. Jen, the manager here at uh, oh, Fifty West, oh, where she's right. got a special concoction for now, us. Now, Jen makes these cookies, and I've had these cookies, yeah, before, and I, I've advised her not to call them Jen's crack cookies because. <laughs> Because well, that could be misinterpreted. <laughs> that that could False advertising. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, come here,
2: Jen, come sit right here by me. Yeah.
0: Oh, you want to oh, share? Okay. You want to share the mic with her, Dylan? Uh, Jen, uh, and Ooh. then you've made us a drink of some sort. What is? First of all, what's the drink here?
3: Well, so the drink is, and as you can see, it's kind of cloudy at the bottom, so you won't get the full effect until oh you stir it up a little bit. It's I called a dirty. Start, I should stir, stir it up. up yeah. Uh, it's probably it's, why it's got
2: a straw in it.
3: I think there was a song called "Stir It Up." If you think back, "Stir It Up," "Stir It, up. it yeah.
1: up," "Start It Up." Yeah, Dr-
3: little darling, it goes stir like that. It up. Yep. So it's a it's dirty like a Dr. Pepper, kind of. and it kind of resembles the old-fashioned Ironport. Oh yeah, that's
1: Ironport. Good. How Ironport. do you know Ironport?
3: I'm I'm ancient. I
1: grew up with Ironport on summer vacations on Bear Lake Delightful, in Lake Town, Utah. Yeah.
3: Now, does yes. it not resemble that? Yeah. And you've received a diet Dr. Pepper, so dirty, dirty diet Dr. Pepper. So dirty it diet. tastes just uh-huh. as uh, genuinely nice as. If you are participating in the sugar side.
0: Now, Jen, will you make one of these or will your staff make one of these for anybody here at 50 West?
3: You better believe we will.
0: Now, are you afraid of, uh, and I don't want to open up a can of worms here, but getting sued? No. You know about all of that, don't you?
3: Of course I do. The big
0: lawsuit, the swig and so delicious and all of that bullshit. Oh, yeah.
3: I'm not afraid. Okay. I'm not afraid.
0: Fearless woman. I I have no patent
3: on this and neither does anyone else, so I'm not calling it anything. That it shouldn't be called, but as far as those cookies are concerned,
0: yeah. Now tell us about those. Those you've are you've asked me
3: not to reference them as Jen's crack cookies, which that's I have
0: two and counting. I not. Good.
3: Um, <laughs> we could just call them red velvet delights.
0: Which oh, you know you, you are a redhead. We could call you a red velvet delight. Or we as could well. call them
3: Jennifer. <laughs> yes, you got that. No, you do have that. So, uh, Jennifer Delights, or...
0: Yeah, they are, I, now I had one when you brought, you brought some upstairs. I did. A couple of weeks ago. I did. And I t- ran into you and you said, have one, and I did, and by God, they're delicious.
3: Thank you. So... They are a true hit down here, and we're pleasure, it's a pleasure to bring them onto the menu, and it's just, uh... It's fun to see. I think that the art of cooking and the, the most joy that I find in cooking is watching people enjoy it. So
0: so it's 50 West Broadway. It's uh, right here in the, uh, the ground floor of the Broadway media empire. And uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for bringing these by. You're
3: welcome. Enjoy, you guys. <clears throat>
0: thank, thank, thank you, you. Jen. I, I, it's,
1: right, I, right next door to American Towers, practically, yeah. which in the old days was the birthplace of one Neil Cassidy, one of the more famous uh, people, of the Beat Generation. It was a rooming boarding house that Neil Sr. and his wife uh, stayed in for two, three years uh, back in the day. Uh, and <clears throat> Neil Sr. was a barber over on uh, State Street, I
0: believe. I had no idea Neil Cassidy was born in Salt Lake City. Just next door to us, pal. I'll be damned. Uh,
2: um, forgive me for being. Yeah. Young, tell tell I guess. Dylan who Neil Cassidy is. Well, let me go back even more. Was yeah. Or, you do was know who D- Dylan? What you do know who called? Dylan is, don't you? <laughs> yeah. no. Bob, oh, wh- my, my middle. Well, we
1: we have three
0: different names for the drink, don't we? At least. Well, what she? Call- I don't know. It's a doc. It's a dirty, Doctor Pepper.
2: Okay. Right, but it was supposed what? to taste like
0: Ironport iron pork soda. Port. Oh, iron pork soda.
2: What was in? A, I remember having
0: Iron Port, and it was never one of my favorites because it wasn't, it wasn't root beer, it no. wasn't cream, and it wasn't cola. What was it? I don't know this. It's this. Yeah, look up. You know, just look up. I, I, get, when you get a second, look it up, Dylan, in the Iron Port. Now let's. Uh, would you? You would know better how to do it. School, Dylan, as to who uh, Neil Cassidy was. Okay. Okay. On the road with Jack Kerouac.
1: Yeah. But it, you know, Burroughs, Ginsburg, and Kerouac are okay. kind of the, the unholy those. three of the okay. Beat Generation. The three possibly most famous names. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Beat Generation was a lot more than just those three. And Neil Cassidy, he only ever published one book during his lifetime, uh, which was the first third. I guess he never got around to the second <laughs> and the third third. That's what it's called, the first the third? The first third. Huh. And he was really the muse and the heart and soul of the beat generation. He really stimulated uh, the creative
0: juices in all of the others, not not just the big three. What was it about him that that did, did it, how did he do that? Did he just buy them drugs or did he I'm sure that was them? part of the uh,
1: exuberance, but, but what, what t- and he was also a you know a skilled car thief
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. And he uh, he traveled on the road
1: with Jack Carroll. Oh yes, right? he did. Yeah, he he was uh, the uh, famous Dean Moriarty of uh, yeah. on the road.
0: What was it about the guy? Do you think? Do you know? Well, I
1: never met him. Um, he was just, I think, one of these charismatic, um, catalytic sort of people that just inspire things, yeah. and it really. He lived the life and inspired the others rather
0: than wrote about it. Yeah. Who of the beat generation of those go- old guys have you did you ever meet and hang with a lot?
1: Oh, the, I, I hardly. I've met a few of them. David Meltzer, Michael McClure, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. You know. Matt, I, Kenneth
0: I, Patchen, probably? Uh,
1: I never met him, no. no. And I, most of those guys, you know, they're, they're a little older than I am. Old as I am,
0: Bill. Yeah, yeah, no, that's That's true. And I
1: just, you know, being in Utah, they didn't come here a lot. I I totally regret never having met Alan Ginsburg, for example, who did come here. And he also uh, uh, appeared
0: up in Boise, Idaho as well. I met him briefly here in Salt Lake City at a a concert out at the uh, fairgrounds. Uh, at the old uh, Dirt Palace. The Dirt used Palace, to call of yeah. course, yes. The, the, uh, Which st- concert? The Coliseum, is that what it was? Yeah, or the that? Fairgrounds Coliseum. Um, it was, uh, uh, I think it was the Young Bloods. Oh, well, then
1: I was. Oh, yeah, no, it was Buffalo Springfield, Buffalo Springfield. the Young Bloods. Field. yeah.
0: Uh,
1: and H.P. Uh, uh, Lovecraft
0: was yeah, the third band. And he was
1: there dancing the, ver- in the, the dance of the vernal equinox. I was at that concert, but. Yeah, I probably I don't know. if I even knew who Ginsburg was in those days. I went. That was down, 1968.
0: I went down on the floor with my girlfriend. I had spotted him, uh, I, and uh, he he was dancing and twirling around, probably high as a kite on acid. And uh, and Jim McNeil, who's still around, United Concert was was do. Was do he, at that time, it was Jim McNeil and Five Fingers on My Hand, the light show, doing the light show. And uh, and and I danced with Allen Ginsberg ah, for ah, about 15, ah. for about five minutes. And well,
1: you know, of all the beats, I mean, if you're going to read, you should read the beats young for the most part, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know that On the Road has a lot of resonance with 60-year-olds. Yeah, probably not. Um, but I got to tell you, you know, I think that mm-hmm. Allen Ginsberg's Howl, I think that's that's the most important American poem since since Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass. Uh,
0: I would I would agree, and I you know I still read his poetry fairly yeah. often, and, and a lot of it is, you know that's of course the most famous, but I mean it's a lot of his poems are just incredibly good. Yes, um, but it, you can judge that by how famous the first line is, right? I saw the best
1: minds of my generation destroyed by madness. Alan when, Ginsburg. when Alex Caldero, our local sinographer,
0: who mm-hmm. if you've never interviewed him, you should. Alex I, is I on have a trip. We have not had Alex on the show. We should do that. He mm-hmm. teaches down at UVU. Uva, UV, UV. yeah, UVU, Utah Valley University. And, and I know I've met Alex on several occasions. And then he was in uh, uh, the Rubber Room. Yes. Uh, well, he's the, been in.
1: He's been in all um, virtually every. I don't think Trent Harris makes a movie without him. Practically, yeah, probably not. Uh, but, Alex is. Sicilian-born, Brooklyn-raised, Orem, Utah sonosopher. Yep. He refuses to call himself a poet.
0: Is he, him. I, you
1: know, I've not really read his stuff. Is he? You got to see him in person. He, his, a, uh, his he performs. I know. Oh my god! Yeah, you see, he's a performance artist. There's no question. Uh, his more recent work, and I would mangle the title "Sonosofsaftu" or some bloody thing mm-hmm. is the most straight ahead book he's ever written um but every five years since the 40th anniversary so for 20 years now he's been channeling alan ginsburg and how
0: and up at the masonic temple well
1: went. we never did it there we've done it at the library there's been other places i've been involved in most of them
0: yeah i meant uh,
1: to, i meant to go it was just this year yeah, we did, we did the 60th anniversary at the library yeah. this year. The 50th anniversary, however, was Transcendental. Uh, more than, you know, the, the, the beautiful uh, Salt Lake City Public Library Auditorium mm-hmm. downtown, yeah. a block up from my store, holds about 320 people-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, it filled. The overflow in the basement overflowed. Then the urban room, they oh. set up giant monitors there. More than one thousand people came to that event that night we had poets we had alex we had how we had a bunch of guys doing music for us being a 1950s jazz band and it was just something magical that night the people just flowed everywhere and at the end of the evening after alex's performance even the people in the overflow seating that had been watching the whole thing on a monitor not live stood up and gave him a standing ovation to a monitor.
0: Yeah, he's remarkable. How do you you know, you are familiar with almost all of the kind of uh, the offbeat, the underground, the unusual people of Salt Lake. Well, I used to be maybe. Not uh, sure I've kept up, and maybe you are one of them yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, <laughs> I mean that in the best possible way. Um, and and you, uh, it's a, it's a scene it's a scene that's really worth exploring uh, that people are kind of not aware of a lot of times. How how would you advise somebody listening to this to say, you know, that sounds intriguing. I'd like to know more about this and these people. Uh, they could come and hang out at your store.
1: Yeah, and we we're not doing as many. Events as as we used to, used to in the past, but there's always really interesting people, whether local or coming through town, that just show up in 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 the store. Back in January, on Edward Abbey's birthday on January tw- 29th, uh, Tim DeChristopher, former Utah Fame and uh, former guest on this show, yes, two episodes
2: with Tim.
0: Oh yeah. Ah,
2: see another mm-hmm. double. Yeah. I wouldn't count him with you because we did one right after the other because he wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> he just said we're to make this a two-parter, not a double Yeah, it was a
1: two-parter because he didn't want to stop talking. Well, well, Tim was in town for a—he uh, you know, was uh, before, as he was getting out of prison but not yet released, he became an employee in my store in, a, in, a, in order right. to avoid going back to prison for six yeah. months. Mm-hmm. So t- anyhow, Tim's in town. Um, he shows up at the— uh, I know he's coming to town, and he makes sure through my employees. Ken's going to be there this afternoon, right? So he's in town. There's this great movie. uh, I'm going to blow the title. Something, something, something. How how, How to learn to love. The subtitle is How to Learn to Love the Things that Climate Can't Change. The director formerly did a great documentary called Gasland. Oh, the, I've seen that one. Yeah. Well, this new one I've is I've
0: interviewed that guy. Yeah, well,
1: this new one is brilliant. He and his whole team were in town. They were doing a showing at the Broadway that night. Unbeknownst to me, team get Tim, the Christopher gathers up the whole all the the creative people and the director of the movie. And they, Tim, and Terry Tempest Williams and her husband show up with a bottle of whiskey about 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Edward's Abbey's birthday. We proceeded to drink it and then go to the documentary film afterwards. And it's a brilliant,
0: brilliant film. It's heartbreaking, but yet it gives you hope. We'll have to uh, yeah, look for that. We'll find the title of that. Have you looked up Iron Port yet, by the way, Dylan?
2: No, I thought your description was... Well, got to find out what the historical it is exactly. record yeah, yeah we
1: we could be making it up
2: yeah I'll look it up I didn't want to lose the conversation I would have to stop paying attention to what you're doing to lo- I'll look it up later you're, you're not
0: very good at multitasking are you? what see <laughs> <laughs> what's that yeah <clears throat> um, uh, Ken Sanders uh, Ken Sanders rare books um, uh, when we were back back we were talking about uh, 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 books and you buy books and um, some people say too many. Well, how many is too many, really? Do you? Uh, so you bought up uh, the inventory of, uh, was it signature books, did you say? Uh, no, Serendipity, Serendipity books, books, uh, books. Peter B. Howard, legendary Berkeley bookseller. And uh, uh, he was going out of business? He died. Died? And so there, all the books are there? Oh, no, it's a, it's a tiny
1: percentage of his inventory. Oh. He had millions of books. I'm a mere dilettante in the book trade. I've only been doing it for forty years. Do, do people contact you? And oh, God, yes. We say, it, books find me. I yeah. don't find books. I don't have to. And ninety-five percent of the books that people try to
0: sell us, we don't buy
1: because we can't sell them.
0: Uh, so that's what you. I mean, you always, almost always, have your eye on. Well, is is there a re- resale value in this book? Yep. Uh, so, you're serious business.
1: Well, they are. They're never going to go away. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of technological changes we go through. You know, Gutenberg and his movable type made a big, pretty big splash 500 plus years ago, mm-hmm. and so did the internet. But. The mistake people make is thinking, well, okay, yes, occasionally a book gets made into a big movie, and then it becomes popular culture, you know, to kill a mockingbird, gone with the wind, what
2: have you. Okay. But I, I don't, I'm going to tell this story, and I don't know why I think this is so charming, but I called I called your bookstore to talk okay. to you about setting up to come mm-hmm. do this interview, and one of your employees answered the phone and said, is Ken there?
1: They're very protective of me.
2: They are. And I and they said, "Who's calling?" And I said, "This is Dylan. I want to interview Ken on my podcast." And she said, um, "Yeah, Ken. Ken can't come to the phone. He's looking at books right now." And I kind of thought, "Well, he's never. Isn't Ken always looking at books? I'm never going to get a hold of him if he can't come to the phone when he's looking at books. This. Good what point. else does Ken do? <clears throat> this is. Uh,
1: um, I read them occasionally, Dylan.
2: is not that? Isn't that looking at books? Do, Maybe, <clears throat> uh, uh, do how you? Else, do you're going to read them, Ken. <throat> Do you, um, Braille, <laughs> so
0: so, do you ever worry about, well, you were starting to talk about the technology and, uh, you know, and Kindle and uh, iPads and all of that sort of thing. And there was this prediction, you know, people were saying, oh, the, the book is going to go away. <laughs> not going to happen, is no, it? No. It, the, the
1: point I was trying to make is other than when we cross over into pop culture, as it were, books aren't mainstream. They've never been mainstream, and neither are bibliophiles and the people, you know, the big book lovers that, that, that love the books. We're off in some far distant corner of the universe, and we're still there, and we're not going anywhere, and we'll be around another 500,000
0: years. It's not a problem. Yeah, my next-door neighbor um, is, a, is a poet, published poet, Jack, Jacqueline Oshero. You know, oh, of you know, course I know her you know work. Who, we carry her books at the store, of and course. And she's, she's very good. And I oh. remember saying to her uh, now uh, sadly deceased husband at one time, I mean, we live right next door to each other. And he's He said, uh, oh, Jackie's off. Uh, she's uh, uh, on a book uh, a tour. She's just published this book. and." And uh, she's you know out to to sell the book, and I, I said that must be remarkable. That, you know, just a wonderful thing. She's out there and she sells actually sells books. He said, "Come on, you you have any idea how many books a book of poetry sells?" <laughs> <He's, it's, clears throat> "I've published a number of them." It's, it, I know it, they don't. They sell you know. He said, "They sell nothing." I mean, it's, it's like. A thousand you know, copies yeah. is a big seller. Yeah, it's a couple of thousand copies, and, and you're mm-hmm. a, a, a well-known poet. That's uh, that's that's exactly what you're talking about there. Yeah. It's a niche. You, poetry's even a... So. Well, I've, I've published
1: uh, a number of poetry volumes now. I've you never made... You your own... You, Dream Garden Press right. is a publisher I started in 1980. Uh, don't send me solicitations. There's no staff there's no place where it exists there's no marketing there's just pretty much nothing mm-hmm. but i occasionally publish a book of poetry i did uh, alex caldero's poetry is wanted here i did ken brewer's last volume of poets poetry the songs he or the poet the poems that he shared with his family and friends as he was dying of pancreatic cancer it's called whale song a poet's journey into cancer and it's a really powerful powerful book uh, and i've done uh, utah F- phillips's songbook that's poetry of a different kind mm-hmm. starlight on the rails with his son duncan phillips it's a it's a great book with tons of photos in it and then just late last year we released uh, another great utah musician kate mccloud's mm-hmm. uh, the Kate McLeod songbook, which is 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 a lot of fun. I've Got fifty two of her original compositions with words and music and lyrics and all that that you
0: know stuff. I can't read. You yeah. know, <laughs> now, these are people that come that uh, that you know. Oh yeah, uh, of course. Are, yeah. That are, is that yeah. is that the only thing you ever really publish? Well,
1: if I don't know it, it's unlikely I'm going to publish it. And well, I don't, and again, I don't you know I don't sell enough of any of these things to even pay for them. So.
0: Well, you, That's I'm, not
1: what's motivating me. I, th- these are things that I think need to have a print record because, you know, all this digital technology and even the technology we're using right now, we don't know how long any of it's going to be around. Yeah. But, and books either, but a hard, you know, a good, good, solidly printed book on neutral pH or acid-free paper, unless you burn it or, you know, abuse it, it's it's going to be around A heck of a lot longer than we are. And words, to me, are important. Or like my favorite, Bill. Humpty Dumpty to Alice. You know, she kept interrupting him because she didn't understand all these words in his poem. And finally, in frustration, Humpty says to Alice, Words mean precisely what I wish them to mean. Nothing more, nothing less.
0: And I think it's uh, you. You kind of scare me, though, because you you skip by that. But the uh, uh, historical records of things, <clears throat> so much of it is now just out there in the ephemera. What happens when all that breaks down, as it could do?
2: Seems likely Some, it will. Yeah, somebody. I mean, you and I were at dinner the other night. <clears throat> we were having a family uh, dinner. And we were talking about uh, a stack of floppy disks that you have yeah. that we just... The technology to <laughs> read your old journals and whatever records are on those floppy disks no longer exists. But but like, like you're saying... I could saying, probably
0: find somebody who had... And I mean by floppy disks, I mean the ones that were really I, I, I remember. You ma- yeah. I have a bunch of those that has old, They have old... Radio comedy sketches on them. It's nothing, but who gives a shit? I guess. Or you know? but but uh,
2: something people do give a shit about. Like there are Charlie Chaplin films that are lost forever. There are pictures that they took on the moon that were on film that they just didn't take care of that are gone. That fi- yeah, film is particularly you the know, old, the just techn- uh, like the, the, the old
1: acetate film that would yeah. self Oops. spontaneously it combust. combust yeah.
2: Just technology. When did you, when did you,
0: <clears throat> I remember you telling a story on, on the last time we talked about, uh, you know, I mean, you, you were in, interested in, in books and collecting things because not only it books, you collect stuff, a, a lot of different kinds of things. Yes, Bill. I uh, am a collector. Yeah. Uh, it's a curse. Um, and uh, so you you just had an interest in that as a very young child, even, right? I was an omnivorous reader from the beginning. And
1: by the time I got out of grade school, I had uh, read every book in the school library, not literally, but every one that held any interest to me. And beyond that, I one of my defining moments with libraries was at Woodrow Wilson Elementary when we had March down as a class down to the South Salt Lake Library on State Street and uh, check out books. And I got all the books I wanted, Dracula, Frankenstein, took them up to the lady there, and she took them away from me and said, These are from the adult section. You're not allowed to check them out. <laughs> Well, that was quite an epiphany for me. Well, 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 how did you get around that? <laughs> I don't recall specifically, but I you I did, found right? ways to get my hands on copies.
0: Yeah. Uh, so when did you become aware, uh, other than just being a a, not, uh, a, a, a reader, just a, it, it, that you that there was something even more to this? Um, I don't know quite what I'm trying to ask. That 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 there's a. That there's a, a, a more of a magic to it than you just like to read. There's well, more. You know, you know to I it. was
1: a kid in the 1950s, and back then, outer space was huge, especially in the 50s, and it wasn't militarized like it was during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so, as much now. Mm-hmm. And the idea, of these Winston juvenile sci-fi and Robert Heinlein and all the, Isaac Asimov and all the great sci-fi writers they most of them wrote, wrote uh, young adult sci-fi on the side, so like, you know, escape from Venus, Venus, you know, and marooned on Mars, and all these vanished civilizations, and oh my God, the, the vampire cows on Venus. Oh my God, those are terrifying, man. The vampire cows. But it just it released the imagination especially fantasy fiction. But everything, like I, I remember one from a scholastic book service that anybody my age would remember. Yeah. The 25-cent books, once a month, the weekly reader. Yeah. I yeah. Li- Sea View Secret, and it was about some New England house on the coast. And to me, you know, born on the shores of the Great Salt Lake, this was like, that was practically a, as exotic as Mars and Venus or the missing rings of Saturn. This, this giant, you know, the ocean and this, this old... It was and so you could a two-story house or a three-story yeah. house. That was beyond my childish comprehension. What? Stairs that go upstairs? <laughs> we only have a basement. What, what did your dad do for a living? <laughs> well, dad uh, worked for half his life as in my uncle's uh, window shade shop, Sanders Window Shades on South Salt Lake, mm. State Street. Then <clears throat> one day he just kind of opened his mouth and at a bankruptcy auction and bought a uh, trophy shop. Bowling Supply. Uh, I remember and you that's, telling me that. And that started yeah. uh, Priced Right Trophy and Supply. Yeah. My dear late father, he, he was an enthusiast. His, he had a revolving sign that twirled around on State Street that says, Stan, the trophy man says, you can't beat our deal even if you steal. That was my dad. He was a Utah Stars booster, huge sports nut. He had uh, basketball teams going back to before I was born. Uh, His basketball team, first it was, uh, I think it was Sanders Tropical Fish, then it became Sanders Window Shade, and then Price Right. In the glory, he had every college athlete from the schools in Utah playing pickup games in the summer for him. Really? And they still, to my knowledge, hold the all-time basketball record of any basketball team anywhere, and this is amateur, Uh Uh, they won 121 straight games. Geez, and now did he coach them? Yeah, Dad. Oh my God, Dad. Dad was maybe five eight, and uh, he didn't have any athletic prowess whatsoever. And did you? No, no. Were you a I'm, disappointment I'm a to lot him? T- because yeah, you didn't, you didn't I, like sports as
0: much. No, right? no, I'd never been a sports guy. And, and did, was that kind of disappointing to your dad? Or. Mm-hmm. Was he fun? You know, that, Well, Probably. And does I, I, his own thing.
1: I had to be the ball boy for the basketball team when, when I was a kid. And I, I can remember when they were sh- going to have to forfeit games, he would force me to p- play the slow pitch games with him. But, but I hated that. Yeah. 14 years old and being forced to play baseball with adults. Yeah. What,
0: did you, what did you think? I, I you wasn't
1: w- that much fonder of the trophy business either, for yeah. that matter. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? I had no no clue. I uh, I thought I knew two things when I was seventeen years old and graduating high school. Is one, high school to me was unpleasant. It was a prison. I hated it. And uh, I think I, you know I graduated maybe with a D minus average. I wasn't disruptive. I just didn't. didn't I, like just, it. I sat in the back and read books of yeah. my choosing. Yeah. And so I didn't. I I made the decision. Well, why? After getting out of three years of prison, i.e. high school, why would I voluntarily sign up for four more years of prison at the college? Why would I do that? And the other thing that was kind of big back there in 1970 was, you know, the little draft lottery for Vietnam. Mm -hmm. I submit to you, watching, and this was weeks before, a month before my December birthday, President Richard Nixon on, live on television with a giant metal cage full of ping pong balls with birthdays
2: yeah.
1: on it. And he picked, one of the earliest numbers he picked out was my birthday. But I, this was like a month before, I was 17 years, 11 months old, so I wasn't 18 yet. Yeah. But it had a profound effect on my life. And, you know, despite my father being, like most of our parents, a World War II veteran, uh, along with going to college... I was determined, I know I'm not going to Vietnam. Like Muhammad Ali, you didn't have a quarrel with them via Cong. No. I I knew it wouldn't be a path for me. I considered being a conscientious objector, but I don't really believe in any kind of formal God, so that seemed kind of hypocritical to do. Mm -hmm. I debated, you know, migrating to uh, Mexico or Canada, but again... In my naivete at 17, I chose a pile of books to take to prison with me, (laughs) including Civil Disobedience by throw, of course. So what did you do? Uh, Waited till I turned 18 and got a high draft number. (laughs) Uh, But I would submit to you. Yeah. President Nixon on TV. That's the world's first reality TV show. Name an earlier one. Yeah, good. good I mean, if that's yeah. not
0: reality TV, and that was real reality TV before yeah. they faked it up. Yeah, no, I mean they were, they were picking the number that the, you could get go over and get, get killed. killed. Yeah, pretty much that's what you do by yeah. then. Yeah. Uh, so, so you're 18. You're still in town, ha- hanging around. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with your life?
1: Well, uh, a high school kid and I, Dave Fagioli, we're gonna open up a. Uh, book and record store together called uh, Ticonderoga after a lost colony on the East Coast, like Roanoke. Oh, yeah. And uh, Dave actually bought a house, but then he found out on uh, Ninth South, but it wasn't zoned for retail. So we kind of went our ways. And Dave, actually not too long after that, at Ninth and Ninth opened up Round Records and Bound Books uh, with yeah. Kurt Setzer kind of a jazz musician mm-hmm. the two of them used to play in a band called the nameless uncarved block
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that later became in the early 70s it could be i don't know about certainly utah's first punk band i'll leave it at that there is no god only noise the atheists that was the entire was, name yes. of the band well the atheists the atheists but that was their logo
0: there is no God-only noise. The Atheist. I like it. Uh, and so uh, so, y- so, there you are. No, I'm not going to open a bookstore with Dave. What do you do? I, I spent a summer in Southern California working at Collector's
1: Bookshop on Hollywood Boulevard. You like that? I, oh, I love the store. The reality of a sheltered Salt Lake teenager being exposed to Hollywood and Sunset Boulevard in the, well, late 60s, 1970. Uh, that was a bit of a cultural shock, I, m- I must say. So by the fall, I turned
0: tail and came home. How'd you get that job? You just went down yeah, there? Yeah, just and-
1: walked in there and
0: asked. So you said, I'm, go- I'm going down, I'm going to go to California, see what's there. Yeah, well, I had a great plan. Yeah. To, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll just go to California, see what's there. I was a teenager,
1: yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, well, no, it's great. And- I, I worked off and on for the late Sam Wellers, uh, mm-hmm. as I like to tell a story. Sam, because he was the real bookman in town in mm-hmm. my youth. Uh, Sam hired me five times and fired me ten times. <laughs> but there were two other. There was Gene Wilson and Wilson's Bookshop on East, Second, South. That was a great, great store. Later it turned into something called the Rubiat of Omar Khayyam. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Then there was old Johan Becker. I always thought he was German, but apparently he was Dutch. Uh, he, always, he and his wife had an antique bookstore that was always kind of around Sears and 8th or 9th South and one old condemned building after another. He always had little you know, beaded curtains that separated the living quarters from the shop. Oh, yeah. And he was very, very tolerant of this teenage boy that was really into books. And he would spend Saturday's hours with me. Talking books
0: with me, yeah. and so you worked at those places? No, no only no. at Weller's. Only at Weller's. And
1: well, my first book job, technically, was Central Book Exchange and Sugar House, a paperback trade place that's still there, still hanging on out oh, there. Oh, is it really? Eleventh, almost to
0: twenty-first. Huh. And that's Yeah, I'm I was there. like fourteen. Oh, there was when I was uh, when I lived in Ogden many years ago. There was the Bookateria. Oh, yeah, yeah, that uh, did that. I used to go in there fairly often. So, so you work at Sam Weller's, which was a great, I mean, it was a great bookstore. Oh, yeah. No, Sam was a good bookman. He knew what he was doing, and, and, he, and he had a, and I wanted, I remember the first time I ever went into Sam Weller's bookstore, probably in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, sometime. You were probably working there, or maybe you had been fired. I don't know.
1: Terry Tempest Williams claims that that's where we met, was at Sam Weller's, and she was still
0: a teenager. But I, um, I always thought I would like to work in a place like this. That that would be a great thing to do. I'd like to work in in this bookstore. Just it was just terrific. And you'd go down in the basement, and I mean, all of those old books and magazines and. Everything and then the, all the contemporary stuff that you wanted upstairs right, and right. and and whoever did that kept really kind of kept up with it well I thought you know well the <clears throat>
2: I think you'd be great in, a, in a, I think you'd be great in a bookstore you'd you'd like to talk with people about the plots of books and 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 uh, well, maybe I should I'll, do I'm, that I, I'll do this install so you can have some of your tacos there Ken yeah it'd be great to argue with people about characters and plot points of books uh-huh. and. And, and debate about the meanings, but he, as soon as your boss told you, you know, you need to alphabetize, <laughs> I, I don't see you carrying a stack of books and, I don't know, you're not one to alphabetize, well, I don't see I you, I'm not I'm saying a hard you am I'm not I'm not saying you're not a hard worker, I'm not saying you can't alphabetize. I just don't see you as somebody who would alphabetize. Well,
0: I may not have a great deal of enthusiasm for it, but I right. would do it. You want me to do what?
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, like, you know, just, I, why don't you go, let's take you over to Ken's place for a while. Just mm-hmm. let's 15 minutes, have Ken put you to work alphabetizing some books. I just don't Catalog see it. Catalog these for me, Bill. I just don't see it happening. It's just yeah. not your temperament. Well, it might not be. I don't, I... I, it's just the one thing there I don't – I mean, I can see you even, like, cl- you know, cleaning up the bathrooms more than alphabetizing books. <laughs> did you yeah. ever did
0: You ever have an uh, interest in library science? Did you ever want to do that? No, never. That grade school librarian
1: kind of put me off of librarians. Yeah. Yeah. So, you – Bill. Yeah. Uh, libraries have – especially special collections have really, really cool stuff, but they won't let you buy it. And you like that? You like the commerce? Oh, any any book person—it's the acquisition of the thing.
0: It's the hunt. It's like the, it's the reason people uh, wine wine uh, people are like that too. Wanting to see something you've never seen before. Do you have never a great, held before? Do you have a great white whale or two that you would really just love to get your hands on? Or
1: well, yeah, but for me, it's more. Yeah, sure, everybody, like, you know, you want a Gutenberg, you want a Audubon, you want a Shakespeare's folios. But those are all pretty known things, yeah. you know. I want something unknown. I want some great illustrated book I've never heard of So before. you
0: you stumble across those occasionally. Well, Give us some for instances.
1: Well, there was some years ago, I was volunteering. In fact, there's a brand new book out by Rebecca... Uh, Rego Berry and now I'm not going to remember the name of the book. Uh, she's the editor of Fine and Rare Books magazine and she's got a new book that has some 52 book collector tales of great discoveries of books. It's really really a fun read and she chose one of the stories I told her to be in the book. Oh please. And it's about the uh uh I was out it was a it was a blizzardy snowy April. And I had volunteered to do f- appraisals for the Sandy Historical Museum. I didn't even know there was a Sandy <laughs> Historical Museum. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard of it. So me and some antique people went out there and were the appraisers for the day. It gets pretty dead. At about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, this guy comes in. It's this big black garbage sack. And says, oh, I got something real valuable here. And he proceeds to and I, you And know, I roll my eyes because, mm-hmm. you know, people have said this to me before. Well, I got a first edition. No, you don't. Yeah. I can almost just say that verbatim, and I would be right 99 times yeah. out of 100. So he unrolls these big, massive pages. They're loose. They're, it's, not, it's, it's a broken book. They're not in order. they got all these weird old woodcuts, and I'm sitting there. It took me the longest time playing with them and looking at it. And finally, it dawned on me, what the heck, because it doesn't have a title page, nothing like that. This is, you uh, going to have to give me a second.
2: Um,
0: Have another you, bite of taco. Maybe that'll you, help you. you. You edit these things, right, yeah. Dylan? Uh, actually, no, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. No. It's just, a, like just
2: like he doesn't alphabetize, I don't edit. <laughs> I like talking. I like recording. I like chip didn't fall far levels. from the tree. No, no, I don't edit. So, no. so
0: you, so you look at, you look through all of this stuff. So, finally, I got to finish my taco. Uh, uh, black. Garbage bag. Wood cut, you say there are wood cuts mm-hmm. in it? I mean, actual wood blocks mm-hmm. in the bag? Okay. So um, it's a big folio of pages. Hmm. Turns out it's
1: a Nuremberg Chronicle, which is one of the most famous books in the world. Maybe not as famous as the Gutenberg Bible, but printed uh, about 20 years later. Um, printed in 1492. And it's basically a history of the world up to that point illustrated. And it's, it's one of the most well-documented... It, books printed prior to 1501 are called incunables or incubalia. And it simply means the cradle of printing. Okay. So this guy... And it's like, what? This guy just brought in a 500-plus-year-old book. So I say to the museum director, you know, if you wanted any publicity... your museum i'd get on the phone to the media right now well fox news is the only one that came i got yelled at my my pals at channel five and two later why didn't you call us they said you know she did you guys blew her off fox was the only one that would come so that got me a call from somebody i know at the ap and they said by then it was this thing had gone viral and they said look because we were going to quickly put to press release and announce we're going to have somebody from the special collections that you come down, do a whole exhibit, bring some pages. Because it was just, it just went, it, <laughs> yeah, it was just crazy.
0: Blew up in the book world. So she
1: says, hold off, let us break it on Monday and then do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. We did. So the AP wire service went out early that Monday morning. This was like two weekends before we killed Osama bin Laden. If it had happened that weekend, nothing, yeah. Right. It literally went viral. Me holding this 500-year-old book, picture me in a story, mm-hmm. appeared in the front covers of 300-plus magazines around the world. It was just the weirdest phenomenon. I got – people sent me copies in languages. I don't even know what the languages are. Cyrillic alphabets, mm-hmm. uh, Persian alphabets, Arabic alphabets, you name it.
0: We, we, okay, so where did – What's the backstory? Where did
1: this guy um, get? He he had a wealthy uncle, fifty years ago. He inherited all this stuff from back east, and he's kept it under
0: his bed for forty years. Not, didn't really know what nope. he had. Other- Finally,
1: he said, "Oh, it was the weather was too bad to you know go out fishing or whatever." So mm-hmm. he decided to bring it in. I mean, he'd looked at it before and thought, "Well, mm-hmm. this is
0: probably worth keeping."
2: Yeah, but yeah,
1: didn't- he didn't throw it away. Yeah. So. And it just, it, oh, my gosh, the
0: attention we got for that thing, it literally went around the world. And what, so what is something like that worth monetarily, and what did it do to this guy? Um, he didn't want to talk to the media at all. He made me do all of that. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he was a real funny guy. He didn't uh, – originally, I didn't have permission to sell it. We were, and as as it turns out, the book was maybe 60% complete. And clearly, a long time ago, somebody had gutted it. Mm. The good stuff was gone. The, the money plates, the giant double-truck-fold map of the ancient world that was, was worth thousands and thousands of dollars all by itself. All the really valuable, it's a parts book is what's left. Mm-hmm. Somebody probably 100, 200 years ago parted it out. And sold it. Sold it piece by piece. For good, for, for good we, money at the time. At the time, yeah. Uh, so what was left was probably worth 25, dollars $30,000. I could have sold it 10 times over, but I didn't have permission to. By the time he gave me permission to sell it, nobody was interested anymore. It had come and gone. Huh. And, and whole, uh, especially a hand-colored version, which this one wasn't, would sell for six six figures.
0: What? Uh, so what happened to it? Did he? He took it back home. As far as I know, it's put it back, back under back his back bed. under the bed. Good lord, that's so bizarre. If if this had come into my
1: bookstore, I don't think it would have. You know, oh well, it's just some guy in a bookstore. But something about mm-hmm. the snowy Saturday, the museum, nobody's heard of. Somehow. It just had this elements for like an O. Henry story yeah. or something, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. you, you want, want to buy it? Well, sure I did. I wanted to sell it and, yeah. and make a commission would it. Wouldn't but I do. didn't have permission to yeah. when everybody was in furor over it. Yeah. Oh, and the, the best one ever, I got a phone call. But I've learned how to handle these phone calls. This guy from the Midwest calls me. He says, I saw that book on TV. It's mine. It was stolen from me when I was a child. So what I kept saying to this guy, and he'd get more and more ridiculous, really? That's incredible. And I meant it. I meant it, Bill. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't incredible. I said, you know what you've got to do? You have, you've got, oh, of course, oh, yeah, I've got photos. You've got to document this story. You've got to get it written down. Send me, you send me email, snail mail. Mm-hmm. You send me all the photographs. You write out that whole story. Get back to me on it, because if I'd blown him off and started making fun of him, I'd still be he'd still be harassing me to this day. Yeah. But by really, that's
0: incredible, and I meant every word. That's and that's the way you get rid of him. And I never heard from him again. Yeah. Of course. You want to have another bite of taco? Sure. Um, so you uh, um, had um, uh, you've had Ooh. a uh, and do you still do the uh, Antiques Roadshow from time to time?
1: the antiques road shows coming back to salt lake city i saw that yeah uh, august 13th this summer Uh, it will mark 10 years Uh, i started with them 10 years ago in salt lake city it was kind of a walk-on and Mm. i guess they like what i do i must know something about something other than just a mormon book
0: because they wouldn't keep having me back if it was just mormon books is that why they originally contacted Uh you as for um, uh was it for what was it for exactly uh, do you remember uh, well, Sam Farrell, the produ- one of the producers,
1: called me up and asked me, <clears throat> said, look, I've been looking around for someone to do Mormon material when we come to Salt Lake, and
0: every single person I call gives me your name. <laughs> so
1: that's how it started.
0: Yeah. Uh, and you got that reputation, uh Probably from the Mark Hoffman case.
1: Well, no I really. I had
0: had nothing to do with that, really. No.
1: I. I only ever met Mark Hoffman once in the Cosmic Airplane days in the 1970s. It was a hippie head shop that I turned into a bookstore.
0: Yeah, it was a great
1: place. It was. It was. It was. It was a legendary place. Mm-hmm. At the height of it, we had 30 employees.
0: Really, that many? Mm-hmm. My God, it was a. Uh, it was a money maker too, I would guess.
1: Yeah, it was, but you know we weren't really very good businessmen. And uh, when a business grows too fast, it can be as deadly as no growth. Yeah, no. because it just the cash flow becomes nightmarish. And we we lived uh, that. Uh, yeah, and in fact, I just shredded some. I found some old uh, tax returns that were from the Cosmic Airplane days. I. Uh, yeah. Uh, my gross salary for the year was
0: twelve thousand five hundred dollars. As owner for people, to, did it start as a uh, did it start as a record store? No, or a bookstore no, no. Or a head shop. Steve or?
1: Jones and Sherm Clow started it on Ninth and Ninth in the spring of nineteen sixty seven as a head shop. Yeah. Sold pipes and.
0: Beads and incense and... Imported. Cigarette paper. Imported
1: from San Francisco was yeah. the ad. Imported. <laughs> yeah. uh, S- Steve had quickly four locations, 9th and 9th. South Temple, which would be the steps leading up to the Delta Center today. Uh, and then briefly the one no one knows on West Temple, almost to 4th South. And then when Steve Jones, the original founder, Bruce Roberts, an old radical from here who's deceased, and myself got involved in the mid-'70s, uh, we found and remodeled the first South. That's the one I remember. The That's the, the one. Next door to the Blue Mouse yeah. Theater. Yeah. And then later, a year or two later, uh, KRCL Radio started broadcasting from up, up doors. Upstairs, Stokot yeah. Scott Carrier, Trent Harris, and yeah. a host of other people had offices up there, yeah. too. yeah. Uh, uh, what was Steve uh, uh, Holbrook? Holbrook, yeah. yeah. Well, he he was the founder of yeah. of, of uh, the KRCL. Yeah, yeah. Not, we I, I we I with Robert that. with Robert Redford's help, because the Outlaw Trail by Cowboy Bob came out in seventy seven or eight. We he got he signed five hundred copies for us, and we raised five thousand dollars for Holbrook and KRCL
0: before there was a KRCL. I I remember that location very well, and it was a great shop. Uh, still had the the uh, the hippie cigarette papers oh, and yeah. all of that stuff and pipes and stuff in the front books everywhere, records everywhere and there wasn 't there a little uh, performance space there as well mm, the, no um, south re- South temple there was maybe smoke I- and rocks
1: and gravel blues band performed there and practiced there. The human ensemble theater got their start in the old cosmic back room.
0: maybe I remember
1: I must have gone there too then.
0: But we we didn't have the luxury of that kind of space on First South. So go back to Mark Hoffman. Uh, I I had been under the impression that you'd helped something with that case, but you just met him once. Now, Mark Hoffman Mm -hmm. was the forger uh, who forged all kinds of Mormon documents uh, and that sort of thing.
1: More non-Mormon than Mormon.
0: What do you mean?
1: Just... Stuff he like, did his story. He did everything from Emily Dickinson to oh, right. Abraham Lincoln to Herman Melville to, to Betsy Ross. Now how how did it come about that you
0: met him? What was uh, He
1: came into the cosmic airplane in the late seventies trying to peddle me stuff. Nobody knew who this and all of a sudden, like every week there's some news story about this incredible find by this whiz kid and it's like, wait a minute. Every week this guy is finding something that would be a Find of a career, and he's doing it weekly, and nobody got wise.
0: Did you look at the stuff that he brought? In? He
1: and I were oil and water, and I sent him packing. And in the eighties, after I sold out, he came back in there and defrauded them to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars. But right. on my watch, and I can't really take credit for it. There was just something. Maybe he just thought, you know, this guy, he ain't LDS. I'm not going to be able to pull the wool over. It's too, going to be too hard. I don't know. I'm making, mm-hmm. It's revisionist history. Yeah. We'll never know. Yeah. But we did not get along. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I know, the bombs are going off and he's murdering people.
0: Yeah. He, he'd, uh, for those who don't remember the story or know the story, he, he had claimed to come uh, into the possession of some important historical documents having to do with the Mormon church. And he, was set, he had sold some of them. Uh, to Mr. Sheets, well, was he, he? he had
1: taken six figures from at least three different entities, yeah. and then for a partial payment for a mythical collection yeah. of damaging documents to the Mormon Church that didn't exist,
0: yeah. partly this, of the, the
1: McClellan collection.
0: And I think this guy Sheets, as I recall, was on to him. Gary Sheets. Gary Sheets knew that it was on to him, and he said it was going to was going to blow the lid off of it. And Hoffman put a bomb. Outside of his office door, and he opened the door, and it blew him up and killed him. And then, Hoffman, a day or two later, or the same day, I don't uh, remember. No, it wasn't the same day. A, whi- a while later, because nobody knew who had done this or why. Right. Uh, uh, the headlines were Salt Lake was
1: like downtown Beirut. Yeah. yeah. This was in 1985.
0: And uh, And then a few days later, a bomb goes off on... Was it Main Street or State Street? Uh, in, uh, on in the Judge Building. Oh, it was in the Judge? Yes. Was that no, Where He was in his car. Another bomb? No, that's the th- there were three bombs. Okay, so what, what was uh, the other uh, bomb? Mrs. And-
1: Sheets was the first victim. Okay. And then, uh, oh, for crying out loud. Um, I don't remember another victim. It like, was a, a relative of Max Christensen, Mr. Mack. Uh-huh. Did it kill him? Yes, so he picked it up outside his office in the judge building and blew him to killed two people. Then the third bomb, bomb who was they still speculate he was over by the desert gym right. got out of his car and blew himself up.
0: we don't quite know whether it was third a volume. Was whether the, well, theres speculation that it was he did it kind of on purpose he, he thought uh, maybe he was going to
1: I don't think so i th- I think it it he just mishandled it. I, I'm certain it was. Most people believe it was for the the LDS collector and Provo, Brent Ashworth. Right. But that's how that's how he got caught. He blew himself up. Right. Well, at first,
0: everyone was rushing to his defense yeah. that he was a victim. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, he had, he ended up he didn't die, and he's still in prison with a mangled left arm. He could could never revive his forging yeah. career. He could never the last
1: I knew, he uh, was. Uh, Roommates, cellmates with uh, Ron Lafferty.
0: Oh, what a good pair. The Lafferty
1: That's a wonderful
0: pair. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about. Uh, uh, I don't want to ask you about. Uh, I want to talk about the, the book, The Man Who Loved Books Too Much. But uh, one other quick question about uh, sure. Antiques Roadshow. Sure. Uh, you've made many appearances on it again. You'll mm-hmm. be on it in August. Well,
1: there's no, there are no guarantees. I mean, it, it's not scripted. It, it it's completely live. They they give away five thousand tickets typically to any city. The demand can be. I haven't heard Salt Lake. The demand can be anywhere from twenty 000 to thirty thousand people. Uh, even though you're not supposed to, people sell them on eBay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're free tickets. Yeah, they do give the sta- the. Sponsoring station KUED, two hundred tickets to to sell as a fundraiser for the station. Um, so there's five thousand, there may be ten thousand items that are going to come through that day and/or collections. So you will
0: be there. Yeah, there will be.
1: There's seventy appraisers, approximately, in twenty four categories that they appraise in, and. We are on the set at 7-ish in the morning, and we don't leave at night until the last person has gotten their appraisal. It's a lot I've, of work. I've stayed as late as 8, 9 o'clock at night, just working straight through.
0: Uh, and and the and then what, you, you only get on the show if, wow, wow. this is a, you, do you well, call people over and say, hey, come here, I got something? You call mm-hmm. the camera guys over, the well, there's producer. there's
1: protocols. Uh, they're only going to film maybe 50, 60 segments. For, they do three separate shows out of one, oh. the one day. So you if you see something you want to pitch, then you grab a volunteer and they go get a producer. Early in the morning, it's a quick process, but, boy, as the day wears on. You're sitting around waiting forever for producers. It's a real problem. It just takes too long. No. And you've got to keep the guest on ice, and you don't want them talking about their stuff. You want it fresh for the right. camera, for right. crying Stop. out loud. Save it for the camera. Save yep. it for the camera. No, we can't talk about this. Save so it. you want to get enough information out of them. There's kind of at least two questions you ask them. Do you own the item? Because if they don't own it, it will not be filmed. Number two. If
0: they say, no, I brought it in for or my, my sister my and I, or my dad, All you know.
1: the owners have to be there that's number 1 then do you want to be on tv cuz some people don't there's no use going through the whole process if they won't refuse to go on tv why? what why are they there yes i know well like when
2: i went to the price is right they asked people do you want to be on camera do you want to play the game why would you go to the prices? Right, because well, you, you like the to...
0: show and you want to see it. But, uh, it be, but people are there, they want to, to get there. They want to get their stuff appraised. We go to an appraiser. It's a free appraisal. It makes essentially. me angry. I'm mm-hmm. upset.
2: I'm not even
0: there. <laughs> that's that's why. They, they, it's a free appraisal.
2: Stupid.
1: <laughs> and it it uh, you know so we see a lot of people uh, by the mid afternoon things can. You know, people's tempers—they're wearing really? down, and and I just—you know—I I try to see—you know—they're here for antique roadshow because they love it. Um, I think it's a very entertaining show, even though they have a completely—I don't ever use the word worthless on at the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to find something nice to say about their worthless item.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you know what? But I don't I mean, ever use that word. E- even the people who get on camera—they're—they're. They're Item is worth something. Oh, okay. occasionally, oh. though. No, I think don't they show occasionally? They'll show, uh, you know, really, this is this is a wonderful family heirloom. However, they do show that occasionally. Mm-hmm. However, enjoy it in your family, right? <laughs> because that's all it's good. However, for. it's a reproduction. Yeah, made yeah. Uh, 50 but years you, ago. yeah. But if you, yeah, but if you love it, then you should love mm-hmm. it. Um, uh, that I think that's fascinating. Um, the, is they are, they give you an appraisal price. You know what amazes me about that show too, and I, you do it as well. The specific knowledge that these appraisers of things seem to have of things. Oh, this is a Native American uh, basket, probably made by the Iroquois. How in the hell do these people yeah. know these things? Well, you've
1: got some of the the best dealers and appraisers in the world doing the show. Yeah. God. and uh, it, 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 especially for a luddite like me I mean <laughs> I my goal dylan this year i' I've, i I've, I've, I think I had to buy it, but I was given a apple or no a, an apple yeah i iPod uh-huh. it's over a year old, and i don't know how to use it
2: <laughs> well it's obsolete now, oh jeez oh,
1: because I was going to take it and try and do research, but it but you don 't know you you just don 't know how if you even have time for it. Yeah. Because you're supposed to be at your table working. Yeah. If you're, Unless you're in the green room getting makeup or on the set
0: filming. So let me ask you, they, they give the people a price range. You yeah, know, they yeah, say. You,
1: you don't have to. That's up to the appraiser. There's three things you can tell them mm-hmm. or how you. If you do not include the context of the appraisal in the appraisal, it the film's lost. Oh. Uh, you have to say at retail. You have to say at auction or for insurance purposes. You have to give a context I see. for the
0: value, I see.
1: and it's up to you to say a specific amount or a range. Mm-hmm.
0: So, then uh, I've always speculated that there must be that those that those people that those the pra- the appraisers that are there, and and you being one of them can confirm this. Then they are the ones who often offer the people they they'll say after the cameras go off do you you want to sell this to No me? No, no no no. 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 Oh no. god, no.
1: That would get you fired. Oh, really? Uh, it, it's commercial free. You we're not allowed to know anything but the first names of the owners. They know who we are. How you like that? After the anything as long as it's not the same day, if the people want to contact you and do business, they can. They discourage it. They don't like it. Really? But as long as you play by the rules, they'll permit it. Mm-hmm. I'm allowed to put out, taped down, a single business card at the table. I am not allowed to hand you a business card. That's breaking the rules. There so is a, on your way out, where you do the self exit interviews. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. thought I had this great thing and it's a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. Five bucks. Or
0: I this I found out this was worth twenty thousand dollars.
1: <laughs> and she breaks it in half, holding up. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> oh man, that's the that's the worst sound that's, on the set. Does that happen crash. Oh.
2: oh, every every time there's a huge crash. Oh. Um, you could have some fun with those contexts of prices. <laughs> well, at a yard sale, no, I would no, price no, this at. No, no, at, not allowed. Uh, I told you the only
1: three you're allowed to. Oh, say. there are the only three. I, I mean. used to be able to say in my shop at retail.
0: That's out. Uh huh. Because that it's too much like your. It's interesting that they have that much integrity. It, it would not bother me to find out that they actually try to, or th- that they actually uh-huh. offer the people some. If you would like to sell this to me. I'd be happy to do that. Wouldn't bother I me. I can't, yeah, I can't even suggest that. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. and it doesn't,
1: I mean, it happens less and less. Mm-hmm. People do follow up once in a blue moon and I do get something, but it's not not common.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I just,
1: it's their show, so I play by their rules. Yeah, I think it's interesting that they just have that that they wanted to have that integrity, right? Yeah, they're they're afraid of that because there's all I mean, there's I don't own or watch television, Bill, but. I've heard of Pawn Stars and, you know, Storage Wars, whatever. There's a lot of pretty commercial weirdo shows out there now.
0: Yeah, and they're they're pretty cheesy. I find Antiques Roadshow very entertaining. I mean, I don't go out of my way to watch it, but I'll be scared. And I'll go, oh, it's Antiques Roadshow. And I'll sit and watch it for a while. There's a reason
1: why for 20 years it's been the biggest show on PBS.
0: I think those twins are kind of
1: weird, though. The Kino, they, they, Lee and Leslie of Kino have been nothing but kind
0: to me. Uh, I bet me. they're very I, nice. I have to say, it's just, it's just they're, just a, hmm, they're just twin appraisers, <laughs> and they are identical. They, they, I can't tell them
1: apart. Yeah, they're the Antique Roadshow rock stars, obviously. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're
0: on every show, aren't
1: they? If they want to be,
0: if they want to be. Well,
1: they even quit and went and did their own rival show and got. Their butts oh, I, kicked I and that. got canceled after one year and we're allowed to come back. Do you think that would allow any of the rest of us to come nah, back? No.
0: <laughs> All right, let's talk about probably the most famous uh, thing. Uh, I, 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 what is, is this is the most fame you ever had, probably. <laughs> well, that's hard to say. Uh, I, I mean, infamy. Uh, or infamy. infamy is yeah. a better word. Uh, let's talk the about, dark side of the book trade bill it's a great book uh,
1: and you can have your own opinion about that you don't
0: like it much the man who loved books too much I
1: call, first of all I call it the man who loved to steal books too much That's my title for it well that's and true. I've probably signed 500 copies of it mm-hmm. and it's not a book I wrote it's I'm a character in her book and so yeah. is my
0: my own personal book thief John Charles Gilkey Let's talk about... this. Tell, tell people the story of John Charles Gilkey and how, how you got involved
1: in it. Um, in the 90s, I finally got around to joining the ABAA, the Antiquarian Booksellers Association of America, ABAA, not ABBA, the Swedish Rock Group.
0: Are you still a member? Oh. I am.
1: Okay. So I, uh, they wanted to vote my Southwest chapter out of existence, and I objected just on principle. So the... the Chapter rep from New Mexico calls me up. I, I like to joke. Our, our Southwest chapter has more states than members. It's really the the East and the West Coasts that have the population. Mm-hmm. That's where the book fairs are, etc. Yeah. So, I okay. Well, I felt well, it's hypocritical of me. So I, yeah, okay, I'll do something for the chapter. Well, you can be the president or you can be the chapter rep. And I said I, I'll do anything you want, except don't make me treasurer. I won't be treasurer. Don't let me near the money. So he calls me back and says, "Oh, Kevin McDonald in Texas is going to be the president, so you can be the chapter rep." Okay, no idea what I just agreed to do. So apparently, once a year, I have to fly to New York to go to a board meeting. You go to the board meeting, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, well, now you got got to be on committees. Oh, okay. So they put me on the membership committee. Oh, there's nobody. We need security. Okay, you're security. Well, it's supposed to be a committee, and apparently I had committee members, but I don't think I ever knew who they were the six years I did it. And, I, you know, I kind of have a, a um, obsessive personality. So when I get into something, I really get into it. So they send me this box of pink sheets from headquarters in New York. And a few months goes by, and I get a call, have you processed the pink sheets yet? what what are those well every time there's a book theft a member fills out hand writes out a pink sheet mails it into headquarters and then we may period once in a while we mail them out to members oh, these these okay. pink sheets they're, they're of a theft in, a that happened theft to you to one of our members oh, okay so so i get a box of these and they're like one to three years old We're like what the heck good are these so I dutifully went through it and did it. And that's the last time any no younger member of the ABA would have any more idea of what a pink sheet is than you do. Because me, the Luddite of the group, you know, my daughter had taught me how to give me an email address. You know, and I knew I can sit there and peck on the computer and do email. So I started getting reports out of Northern California of people losing pretty, you know, multiple thousand dollar books to some thief and he'd call on the phone, act knowledgeable about the books, and then give him an Amex number and charge it. And then, okay, oh, uh, it's a birthday present, I need it. Can you overnight it, just charge that to the Amex? Well, in the 90s, we were pretty green. Um, we thought if you, you know, we, we've never seen the card, right? But we've taken the numbers down, you know, all the jazz. Yeah. Run it, get the approval. Well, we thought that was gold. Sure, the card. It ran. Yeah. No, that's, that's a huge fallacy. Credit card fraud is staggering. And the only person who gets hurt by credit card fraud, it isn't the consumer. Consumers are well protected. And it's not the banks or the credit card companies or the processing companies. That leaves the merchants. You're stuck. You can get a charge back from six months to a year later. Anyhow. So, and then sometimes he's, oh, uh, my dad's going to be in your neighborhood uh, tonight or in the morning. We'll just pick it up. Come in, sign for it, pick it up. Nobody's ever seen the credit card. Month, two months later, you get the charge back. And then he starts escalating. And clearly, one store is only going to fall for this once. So at first, I thought I was chasing a gang of people. And then I just, the more, and now people are starting to send me internet reports, email reports. So instead of sending out pink sheets, I'm just going, you know, the minute I get the report, I'm typing it up. We set up a security line that went out to every member of the ABAA and say, okay, warning, so-and-so books. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Bakersfield, California lost, you know, a first edition Great Gatsby, you know.
0: And this, uh, these were all pretty valuable
1: books. Always in the thousands of dollars, always under 10 grand though, because credit card companies won't process a $10,000 order without speaking to the cardholder. So but these are I mean uh, expensive volumes. $7,500 on the road, $5,000 gone with the wind. Jeez. And he's ramping it up. He's escalating. Uh-huh. I, 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 I say he. I don't. I don't know who he is. At this point, you don't.
0: No. But, but did you? It, you figured it's one
1: guy. At well, I thought it was a gang. Yeah. It as and we can't go into this whole story. It's way too long. Um, turns out to be John Gilkey and his father, son and dad, thief combo, and they uh, got away with it. They kept going. F- they ran out of Bay Area, so now they're doing it cross country. Long story short, it takes me three years out of my life and an enormous amount of time. And through the help of uh, Royal Books, Kevin Johnson, he'd had a book stolen. He reported it, and it, the theft technically took place in Santa Clara County, California, which is San Jose. Mm-hmm. San Jose has a high-tech crimes unit, unlike other parts of the world. Then Ken Lopez, a good friend and bookseller of mine from Hadley, Massachusetts, he gets a phone call. A year earlier, he'd gotten a call for an expensive book. The credit card was declined, so he never thought about it. It's the same voice. And now I've been hammering him for three years about the book thief without a name. And he recognizes the voice. He calls me up. Your book thief called me. I'm sure it's him. Okay, go along. Don't run the card or anything. Just go along with him. Get the address where he wants. So I get on the phone to Kevin Johnson. I call San Jose cops. I get Detective Kenneth Munson. Unlike any cop I've ever met, he listened to this convoluted story. Who are you again? Well, I'm this bookseller in Utah calling on behalf of a guy in Maryland that lost he, a $7,500 book yeah. to a crook in your jurisdiction, and we're trying to set up a sting with him through a bookseller in Hadley, Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, why did he Long he just, pause. Well,
0: why didn't he just hang up? <laughs>
1: you know? Yeah. I, I, he's unlike any cop. Yeah. I, I, well, that's interesting, sir. Thanks for calling. <clears throat> but it was his jurisdiction.
0: So. He, God knows what... Well, you're, you are a compelling storyteller. Even on the phone, apparently. Yeah. So, I mean, you must have told the story well. And the
1: address, because now we'd Googled it, is a San Jose Hilton airport. So, they do, they set up a sting. It's not like in the movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sit on their ass until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Finally, a guy goes in. Are there any packages for me under the real cardholder's name? picks the, we, we thought it was really funny. He bought a $7,500 Grapes of Wrath by Steinbeck. Mm-hmm. So we had to send him something. Clearly, we're not going to send him the real book. So we did a first edition, facsimile edition of the Grapes of Wrath. You know, it's worth about $25. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, he never got to open the package, so he never got our jo- little joke mm-hmm. we played on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We got you, pal. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they pick him up. I don't know what you guys are talking about guy in san francisco gave me 20 bucks (coughs) to come here and pick a package up for him so they go on the hunt for the one-armed man so to speak then they throw him in to jail he's clean he's got no wallet no id no keys the only thing on his possession is a crumpled up prepaid cell phone uh burner phone receipt that proves that he called ken lopez then they turn him loose the next day, and he won't tell them who he is. I about had a heart attack. Munson, no, 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 don't worry. He's going to show up for his court date. They always do. He did. So then we learned, finally, after two years, we learned the name of the thief, John Charles Gilkey. And then the rest of it is just, it's too, it, yeah, it's too, it's way too long to get in and tell. But I finished it up. We, we, now I'm tracking him real time. Every time he goes into a store, now he's, he needs some money for lawyers and stuff, so he's trying to sell hot Winnie the Poos all over LA. And they're calling me on the phone, sending me emails. We got people stringing him along and then offering him really low amounts that just enrage him and make him furious. Finally, but I dutifully report all this back to Detective Munson including at one store because he's he he's using his real name because he needs a checkmate you can't have a checkmate out to an alias he gives him an address and i just nah, it'll be a fake i gave it to munson i now get a call from munson he's on a borrowed cell phone because they don't give the cops cell phones back then yeah and he's inside of gilkey's apartment and treasure island of all places in california out in the bay Perfect. Perfect name, huh? Yeah. And this house is full of thousands of stolen autographs, photographs, posters, and books. Ken, you got to just take it all. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's not the way the law works. I have a warrant for very specific items. items. You tell me what you can prove stolen. And every one of the ten items I gave him, he found and he took. And all the rest of it, to this day is somewhere rotting in a warehouse in Modesto where Gilkey's from, and nobody's ever going to get it back. Why? Got to prove the crime, pal.
0: Uh, Gilkey's in prison. Not yet. No? No, he's on the lam. Oh, he! I didn't realize. I thought he went to jail. We went to, he's been to prison six
1: times. They practice law uh, enforcement as catch and release out there. <laughs> As recently as a year ago, his new mo, dad's long dead now. Yeah, um, he uh, what he did, by the way, how he got all these IM, uh, MX numbers with high credit limits is every Jan- uh, every Christmas season he would get hired at Saks Fifth Avenue or some high end department store, mm. and just steal all the high end info because yeah. he knew they had really high limits.
0: Yeah, and then January he'd go on a spree. Uh, so. He's portrayed in this book, uh, 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 the man who loved books too much, as a guy who did this because he just loved... Bullshit. Loved the book. But what is that's how he's portrayed.
1: At the end of the day, he's nothing more than a common, dirty little thief that preys on people. And it's hardly just books. He's, com- he's completely and utterly amoral. He has no conscience. He doesn't care what he steals from whom. He... Uh, finances overseas vacations uh, and his current mo uh, as of a year ago and i hope i got him shut down but i don't know that i did he would call up and book a bed and breakfast in a resort town uh, with the female for the weekend three-day weekend yeah he shows up no female oh she couldn't make it uh that he's booked it online and used a hot credit card. The B and Bs don't check them. The the one woman that contacted me said, "I've done this for twenty seven years. No one's ever stiffed me before." She was a, like she was perplexed. Yeah, they they don't think that way. So he spends the art galleries, prints, any antiques, books. Goes all over town, kiting checks on a Bank of America account. That has been closed since 1991. He just keeps making checks up. Do you think they give a rat's ass about him? Nope. Why does he keep getting away with it? Because each theft is small potatoes. Cops have more important things to do. They don't take book book theft, particularly intellectual property theft. They don't take it seriously. They don't care. Yeah. And it, you know, even though I'm sure he stole more than a million dollars by now, it's a hundred, few hundred here, a few thousand there. This continues to vex you. Oh yeah. Well, I, 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 I at least shut him down in one city because a jeweler almost fell for him. But Gilkey ordered like thousands of dollars of custom jewelry online. He says. I've been doing this 40 years. No one has ever bought anything from me sight unseen. You don't buy custom crafts like I do without seeing it first. Mm -hmm. So that raised some bells. Then the minute you start Googling Gilkey, you're going to find all about him and me. Mm -hmm. So as long as he's using his name, I thought I'd poisoned the well that nobody
0: could be. So he's branched out from bookstores, clearly. He'll steal anything. You, uh, you you, don't like your portrayal in the book.
1: Uh, no, well, the biggest issue, I mean, I'm a character in her book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest issue I have is when she was on the trail of Gilkey herself and visiting him in prison, and then he's out of prison. Um, she calls me up one day and says Gilkey wants to go book scouting and I thought we'd go to a thrift store but he wants to go to uh, John Crichton's Brick Row Bookshop which was one of his original victims and they stole uh, a three volume first edition set of Thomas Hardy's Mayor of Casterbridge from him worth about eight or nine grand and I said no Allison you can't do that that's absolutely bullshit and if I thought she was going to have done that I would have called Crichton and warned him she, she and Gilkey fucking went there and blindsided him. And I can't ever forgive her. We didn't talk for a year or more after that. And in her book, she lies about it. She pretends that I originally thought it was a swell idea and a great idea and encouraged her. And then after she did it, got banned. And that's just, she lied. It's just pure, she made it up. And so I, you know, I'm like a character in her
0: book. And I do and say whatever the hell she did, wants me. Did to it? Did it for dramatic license? And yeah. yeah. D- who cares what the real Ken Sanders thinks yeah. about that?
1: So yeah. she she lied, and yeah. so and I think she crossed a line. I think she she makes uh, Gilkey way too innocent. He's he's a pathological liar and thief. I think he's a psychopath. Yeah. She, I mean, and he will not
0: quit stealing until he's dead or back in San Quentin. Yeah. It's, you're, you know, because the way the book is written, it's, it does romanticize him.
1: Yes. Him.
0: Him, I hope. Yeah. Okay, okay, let me say this about it.
1: I never pretended to be Sherlock Holmes, okay? But I absolutely guarantee you John Charles Gilkey is as far removed as Moriarty as he could be. He ain't no Moriarty. Yeah. Not that smart. No nope. no, he's not smart at all. he just gets away with it because it's small potatoes, yeah, and he knows nothing's going to happen to him. he's not
0: afraid of being arrested it's like nothing will happen to him' yeah. That's a, I, it's interesting that you i I think it's fascinating that you still you still kind of keep after it. I have no choice i mean they, they come to me no. It's, you, know, it's, you would have, I mean, it's people that call you up. My forever
1: associated with his. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just
0: make make it clear which one of us is
1: the book thief, okay,
0: buddy? Well, Ken Sanders, you're the good guy. Oh, wow. You are Gosh. the good guy. Everybody knows ah, that. Ah. Uh, Ken Sanders Rare Books, uh, located on 2nd uh, East between 2nd and 3rd. Right? 268
1: South, 2nd East. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Go, if you've never been in there, go in there. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, well, it smells like books. <laughs> Rotting paper. Yeah. Smells like old People books. People comment on that every single day. Always, they love, everyone loves the smell. Yeah. I mean, it uh, you walk in there, you go, oh, that's what a bookstore is supposed to smell like. Yep. Uh, and uh, you will find, uh, you will find something to your liking there. And you'll also find stuff there, you know Ken talked earlier in our discussion about how wonderful it is when he finds something that he didn't a treasure didn't know you'll find a treasure there, and they're not all expensive no treasures can cost only a few dollars yeah yeah no it's not like it's a, a i don't think we've given the impression that. It's not a place where it's all these first editions. And well, it's, it's that, too, Bill. I mean, You've got look, that. I, I love selling books to readers. There's
1: a whole wall. We've got one of the finest literary paperback selections of any bookstore in the world mm-hmm. uh, along the back wall. There's some 10,000 volumes, and there's not a bad book on the shelf, and there's not a bad condition book on the shelf, either. Just go,
2: go, go drop by, visit, say hello. Um, Glad you came back. It was great to talk to you again. Great to have you back on the podcast. We talked for a long time, and we'll probably have to have you back for a third episode. Yeah, my We've tacos. shut the restaurant down. My tacos are ready to cold. close. No, I'm sorry. Man,
0: the man has a cold taco. Well, let's let him finish his ah, ah, cold yep. taco. Ken Sanders, uh, the Let's Go Eat Show. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Bill. Dylan. Uh, thanks, Dylan. Uh, thanks to 50 West for producing the show. Uh, not producing the show for... Providing the food at the show. Dylan produced the show. That's right. If you're uh,
2: pouring the drinks, what should they do?
0: If you're pouring the drinks, remember, always make mine a double. There you go.